Hi, I'm Kristen, and you're listening to A Public Church Podcast. We'd love to connect with you through our social media at A Public Church or through our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Man, uh, I'm just thinking, like, if I can't speak after that hosting great job by Alex and that worship set, then I've got something wrong with me. So could we just honor Alex and public worship? They lead us so consistently. And if we're in here, could we just turn around and say, hey, lobby crew. Oh, oh, we we can do better than that. We got seats in the space, guys. We can welcome them a little bit better. Let's try that one more time. Ready, go. Hey, lobby crew. Lobby crew, can you let us know you're there? Yes, there's one of you. I love it. At least one person in the lobby. I think I can see a couple more. Now, I just want to thank you. My name is Todd, and I want to thank you for just being a part of all that Jesus is doing through public church. This has actually been a big week for us because on Wednesday night, public students met at Stewart for the very first time. So we got some pictures here. If you don't know what public students is, that's our team that serves sixth graders through 12th graders. Come on, look at Dave's ups. and That, that shot had to go in. That is impressive. That's awesome. And then, man, we have great community with our students. So look, if you're in sixth through 12th grade and you've not experienced public students, take a picture of the next screen. These are the details. If you're a parent of a middle school or high schooler, take a picture of this. Man, Jesus is doing incredible things through public students, and we want to invite you to be a part of that. Now, today we get to start a brand new series called Prove It. And I'm really excited about it. And I just propose that at our core, all of us want to live a prove-it lifestyle. Like somewhere within us, we want to have a prove-it mentality. For example, just for me to be authentic for a moment, when I'm around somebody that's like a big dreamer, a big talker, and I've never seen them take a single step towards their dreams or talking, anybody know those people? Don't point at them, that could get kind of awkward. When I'm around them and they start to go on their big dreams and, and big talk, I either outwardly or inwardly roll my eyes. Anybody with me on that? Okay, a couple of, I'm just a bad person evidently because no one else does that or you're just not honest enough to admit it. When I'm good, it's inwardly. When I'm bad, it's outwardly because I'm just like, hey, look, if you'll just do like one thing, like take one step, then I'll listen to you. But until then, like, ah, prove it. Just want to prove it. I dedicate this next statement to all the spouses who are trying to drag your husband or wife to marriage conference. Maybe they've been saying, hey, it's the new year. We're going to work on our marriage this year. We're going to have more date nights. And you're like, for $20, we've got one coming up on Friday night or Saturday. You pick. Show me the money. Prove it. Prove that you want to invest in our marriage. Any spouse? Don't know. That would be awkward. Okay. We're just going to ignore that one and leave it there. Or coaches. Maybe you've experienced something that I have, which is where an athlete comes up to you after that gut-wrenching season-ending loss and says something like this, coach. I'm work harder than I ever have. I'm in the weight room more than I ever have been. This will never happen again. And you know when you see them next? The start of preseason. You're like, you didn't do it. You're like, what's the deal? Prove it. And then we've also had athletes, young ladies and young men who don't say that, but they just show up the very next day early. They stay late. They do extra. And they don't have to say it out loud because they just prove it by their actions. Or maybe if you're like me, again, just being real today, you guys seem like you're better people than I am, so I'll just keep going down my bad path. But sometimes I just want to scream at someone. I just want to say this, like, hey, I can't hear the words you're saying because your actions are speaking so loud. Anybody been there with me? And then when I'm honest and self-reflect, there's probably been people that want to scream that at me. (laughs) And so that's when I get off my high horse. 
But I realized, I think deep down, we want to have this prove it mentality. We want to be people whose behavior supports our beliefs, whose actions align with what we say. And this became really clear to me as I have a great friend that doesn't follow Jesus and we get to just have lunch or work out together and just spend time together. And we get to talk about Jesus and why he doesn't follow him yet. And here's what he told me one time. He said, you know, he said, I could have played the Christian game. He said, I know some of the stories about Jesus. I know a lot of the right things to say. And he said, I could have just played the game. He said, it could have even been that I could have gotten some notoriety in the Christian community and maybe people would have followed Jesus or or taken steps because of the game I was playing. He said, "That, that may have happened, but here's the deal. I refuse to pretend to be someone I'm not. He said, I'm still trying to figure this Jesus thing out. He said, like, I want to believe that there is hope after death. Like, I'm getting older. I want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that I can trust him, that I can follow him, but I'm just struggling to get there. And until my actions are gonna align with what I say, I refuse to pretend. That's why we need this series. Because maybe if you're watching in this room or in the lobby, I just described you. You walked in today, and you're thinking, man, I, I'm curious about Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in him. I mean, that's why I showed up today. But, but I'm just not there yet, and I'm not going to fake it till I make it. I refuse to pretend. So if that's you, man, this is a great series for you as we talk about what it means to live a prove-it lifestyle. And I'll just encourage you with one thing. Be like my friend who's not processing this alone. Like he's with me. We're walking through this journey together. Man, let us come alongside you with your questions, your doubts. Let us come alongside you and have the privilege of exploring Jesus with you because we need this series. Maybe some of you though, you're like, well, I didn't really take that approach. Somebody told me to fake it till I make it. And that's what I did when it came to Jesus. I decided I'll just fake it. And I realized that I'm never gonna make it because I feel farther away from Jesus than I ever have. Or maybe there's still some of you who are going, I'm not into the faking it stuff, but, but here's what I do. I just grip my teeth. I read things about Jesus. I'm like, I can make a plan and a schedule and I'm gonna do this and I'll create a system and I'm just gonna earn my way into favor with God and a relationship with him. It's incredibly frustrating, isn't it? You maybe gained a little bit of traction, but then you just can't get over the hump and you realize, man, there's some disconnect here. It's like I just can't quite earn my way in. And that's because you can't. So question that we're gonna wrestle with today is, where do I start? If I wanna live a prove-it lifestyle, where do I start? It's a question that you may be wrestling with if you're saying, hey, I don't follow Jesus yet, And what's holding me up is I want to make sure that my behavior aligns with my beliefs. Hey, we're going to talk about what it means to live a prove-it lifestyle. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for 40 years, four months, or four days. And for whatever reason, at this point, you're just in a rut. Maybe earlier on, you had this moment where you truly began to follow Jesus. And and at one point in your life, the word was alive as you read it. And when you were in worship sets, like we just had, man, the Holy Spirit, he was in the room and you would feel him. And he was speaking directly to you. And it was incredible. But now you sit through what we just went through and you're like, I'm just kind of numb. I don't really feel anything. I'm just empty. And you wonder, where do I start if I want to get that back or gain something that I never really had. So we want to wrestle with that question. I think it's a question worthy of our time. And to help us wrestle with it, the good news is that Jesus said so much, like a ton 
about what it means to live a prove-it lifestyle. And we're gonna talk about several of the things he said throughout this series, but our launching point today is to go to what many people refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually gonna start in two different places. We'll be in Matthew 7 and Luke 6. If you wanna mark both places in your Bible or use your Bible app to kind of have them ready, it's also gonna be on the screen for you just to follow along. And the Sermon on the Mount is really, it's a collection of talks, or many people think it's just one big talk that Jesus gave frequently. This is some of his most important, essential teaching. So it wasn't like he just said it once and forgot about it. No, whenever he traveled, when he went to different places, he would say these stories over and over again. And so as we look at Matthew's account of this and Luke's account, we're gonna see some differences. That doesn't mean they contradict. Here's what it means. Matthew went to the 1030 and Luke went to the 12. In other words, I'm gonna give this same talk three different times today, but each time it'll be slightly different. If you guys had chosen to come to the 12, you'll get a slightly different version of it. If you've been here at nine, you would get a slightly different version of it. And so what we're gonna see is, hey, it doesn't contradict. It's just that Jesus told this multiple times and we put these stories together. We can really see how we start to live a prove-it lifestyle. So we're gonna jump into Matthew chapter seven, beginning with verse 15. And Jesus says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That word beware, it simply means watch out, be vigilant. What should we be vigilant for? Well, the phrase come to you in sheep's clothing, that is actually an idiom. It's an idiom that means someone is pretending to be something that this person is not. Their actions say one thing, but their words are saying something totally different. And really the key to this is the word inwardly. Here's what's happening. If you met them, if you spend a few minutes with them, they've got this veneer, this facade that they can put on and man, they look like Jesus and they seem like they've got this Jesus thing whipped and they've got it mastered and they're just doing their thing. But then when you get below the surface, here's what you discover, a ravenous wolf. That word ravenous basically means vicious, destructive. Think about the term hungry. It's people who are plundering just for their own greed. They can never have enough. Their, 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 their desires are never satisfied. And it's all about what they can get from you to self-promote themselves. And here's what he's saying. He's like, look, guys, we have to be aware of people who claim Jesus, but their actions say otherwise. We've got to be aware of people who on the outside look like one thing, but on the inside, they are someone different because that's dangerous to us. So beware of them. And then he goes on and he gives a great analogy in verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, their fruits will prove it. And then look, I think sometimes we're like uptight when reading the Bible. We don't realize we should laugh. Like Jesus' audience probably laughed here. Like this is some dry humor. It's kind of tongue in cheek as he says this. He says, Hey, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And everybody's like, ha, 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 that's good. That's a good one. No, okay. Can, can we try that? Can we just fake laugh and then say no? Fake laugh, ha, 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 no. Just like Jesus' audience, very good. Okay, then he goes on and makes this point. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And in verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying what is on the inside will come out. It's unavoidable. He said, if you look at nature, if a tree is diseased, if it's decayed, if it's rotting, it's not gonna produce healthy fruit. 
In the same way, if a tree is healthy, it's not gonna produce rotten and decayed and diseased fruit. And then he says this in verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Here's what Jesus is saying. The ultimate truth, the ultimate test of truth is not what people say, but what they do. Now let's personalize it. That was like they out there. The ultimate test of truth is not what I say. It's not what you say or you say or you say or you say. It's what we do. And if we walked in today playing the duplicity game, saying one thing, being something else, Jesus has a warning for us. He says, hey, at some point, there's going to be consequences. Now, at some point, the hypocrisy, the, the, the fakeness on purpose, like it will catch up to you and God will judge your actions and hold you accountable. And so he ends with this. You will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, come on, we know this. What is on the inside must come out. Skip over to the 12 o'clock or Luke's version in chapter six, verses 43 and 45. It's very similar with one big difference. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, but each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Again, ha, 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 good one, Jesus, okay? So just a little survey to make sure we're still awake in the lobby all the way to the front. What kind of tree produces oranges? You guys are so smart. Okay, we're gonna go next level. All right, you ready? Buckle up. Okay, I know school just started back for you guys in college, but we're just gonna try this. Okay, what kind of tree produces apples? <gasps> an apple tree. Thank you, Randy. Yes, an apple. This isn't like complicated. And so Jesus is making this incredibly obvious observation from nature to say, why do we think we're any different? What's on the inside must come out. And so he drives this point home. Here's the difference between Matthew and Luke. Luke adds in this statement, and he says this at the end of verse 45, or all of verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Notice the consistency. Good, 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 evil, evil, evil. What's the inside comes out, and he drives this point home with this statement. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew 7, he says, hey, what really matters is what's going on the inside. They may look like a sheep, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. Here in Luke 7, Jesus, slightly different analogy to drive the story home. Whatever is in here must come out. So where do we start? We start by looking on the inside. We don't start with outward behavior modification because that's not going to get us anywhere. We have to start by looking on the inside, and maybe this will help us. Andy Stanley, when he's talking to um, couples that are dating, and if you're dating or are going to date at some point, you, maybe this will really help you. I think it really applies to all of us. But he says this, if you're dating somebody, pay attention to the moments when they lose control. Because what do we all say in those moments? We lash out in anger and they go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that's not really me. That was just, I don't know where that came from. Well, I do from here. <laughs> It came from right here. When I lash out in anger, you know why? Because there's anger in my heart. 
And in those moments where they just kind of lose it and they get really frustrated, I've been struggling with frustration in the past few days because I like when my plans are lined up and when they're not, I can get very frustrated. It's a continuous battle for me. And here's what I know about myself. When I get frustrated, you know why? It's because I got fear inside me. It's not just a blip in the radar like, oh, I'm such a good person. Oops. <laughs> oh, let's just forget about that. Delete that. Because we can't all be on our best behavior all the time, can we? And eventually, <laughs> what's in here? going to come out. So if you're dating, pay attention. That's who she really is. That's who he really is. That's what your parents have been trying to tell you, by the way. But then for us, here's what it means if we look at ourselves. There's probably a little, I'm being very kind, a little more darkness in our hearts than any of us would care to admit. Can we stop dismissing those losing control moments? Oh, just flipping the radio. That's not who I really am. We go, actually, that is who we really are. There's some more darkness in our hearts than we would care to admit. So where do I start? We need heart surgery. <laughs> That's the reality. We need heart surgery. A prove-it lifestyle starts with change on the inside. It can't be behavior modification. I love what N.T. Wright says. I think it sets the tone for where we're going. He says this, moral reformation which leaves the heart untouched is about as useful as tying a bunch of grapes onto a briar bush. And that is funny, at least to me. That would be like going to a thorn bush, tying some grapes on and be like, look at this grapevine I got. It's not a grapevine. It's a thorn bush with grapes tied onto it. So we have to understand, we need heart surgery. A prove it lifestyle begins with change on the inside. Now here's the problem with this. We can't do heart surgery on ourselves. Maybe you're a doctor and you're in this gathering. I know we had at least one doctor at the nine o'clock, but it doesn't matter even if you're a heart surgeon. Can a heart surgeon do surgery on herself? The answer is no, because you have to be put to sleep. So we got a problem. We know, okay, I got to be changed on the inside, but I can't do it. So starting point is to recognize I need heart surgery. The next step is to go, I can't do it. And so we have a choice. We either keep digging or we can just ignore it. Like sometimes we do when we go to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, you should exercise more. You should eat less little Debbies. You should put the brownies up every once in a while. Not so many Doritos. Walk out and go, hey, that's a good doc. Uh, just give me some medicine. I'll be back in a little bit. I mean, we do that. But the problem with doing that in this situation is that Jesus said, there is consequence coming. There is a penalty coming. And we can walk away from this and go, ha ha, forget it. That's for somebody else. And then we will one day pay the penalty. So where do I start? I start on the inside. But, but, but what, how does that happen? At this point in the conversation steps a guy named Paul. Paul is somebody that steps onto the pages of Scripture in Acts chapter 7. You can actually look really just start in verse 54. If you want to read the whole chapter, it's phenomenal. He literally enters the pages in verse 58. And by chapter 9, here's what we see. He's completely different, like holistic, wholesale change. Now, one thing we can say about Paul, he never did the fake it till I make it. He was always authentic. Either I'm hunting Jesus followers, trying to kill them, or I'm passionately have abandoned all of that, and now I am following Jesus. So he knows what it's like to be holistically changed. He knows what it's like to have heart surgery. So here's what he says in a letter he wrote to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. How does this happen? He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. Here's what grace is. It's undeserved favor. 
It's an unearned invitation. Paul says, in case you missed it, we can't do heart surgery on ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't earn our way into an appointment with God to fix us. No, instead, Jesus came. And that penalty that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, he paid it when he died on the cross. And that's why we don't have to pay the penalty if we will accept his grace. But if we reject his grace, then we will pay the consequence. So our starting point is to understand this. God initiates by pouring out his grace. For we have been saved by grace through faith. It starts with grace. And then what is faith? Faith is simply this, complete trust. It's us abandoning any hope of fixing ourselves, abandoning any notion that we could ever earn our way into God changing us as saying, Jesus, I can't do it, but I do trust that you are who you said you are, that you came, that you died on the cross and you rose again. And so I give myself to you. Heart surgery (laughs) begins with grace through faith. And then he goes on to say this, and this is not your own doing. He wants to make sure we get this. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. If that sounds redundant, it is because it's vital that we understand this. And then he says this in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. The New Living Translation translates that masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, there are actions that follow. There are things for us to do. We're gonna talk about that for the rest of the series. But what we cannot do is skip straight to the actions and go into behavior modification without first letting God, through his grace, deal with our messed up hearts. So how do we let him deal with our messed up hearts? What does this really look like? Paul, in another letter he wrote, he got into more detail. Here's what it looks like to let God do heart surgery. In Philippians chapter two, verse 12, Paul writes this, therefore, pause. The word therefore is a transitional word. It means because of everything that I just said, do this. So what did he just say? Man, you should read Philippians two, five through 11. It's beautiful. Talks about how Jesus left heaven. He came to earth and he humbled himself by becoming a servant. And then he humbled himself all the way to death, death on a cross. But then, you know what God did? God exalted him. So that today we sang, there is no other name but the name of Jesus. Because every knee will bow to the name of Jesus one day. He is the name above every name. In other words, therefore, because of all Jesus did, because of who Jesus is, then he says this, my beloved. In other words, remember, I love you and God loves you. Then he says this, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. In other words, no matter what's going on externally, here's what you do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is the point where you go, gotcha. I knew the Bible contradicted. You just said it's grace that God initiates. And now Paul in another letter, he's lost his mind. He's contradicting himself. He says, no, you work it out. That's why you have to keep reading. We can't just stop with one verse because what he says next is the key. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is this saying? It's actually 
clarifying what God's role is in this whole process. In Ephesians, he said, hey, God initiates by pouring out his grace, but then here he wants us to know, here's God's full role. It's not just that he initiates. God is the initiator, the sustainer, and the finisher. (laughs) That's some good news this morning. That God is the initiator. Yes, he starts it. We can't start it, but he doesn't just say, good luck and pat us on the butt and let us go on. No, he starts it. He's the initiator. He's the sustainer, and he is the finisher. This whole idea that it is God who works in you, if you really dig into the original language, here's what it's saying, that God puts his Holy Spirit inside of us when we surrender to him. And a phrase that would be appropriate here is we could call him the great energizer, that God gives us the desire and the ability to do what pleases him, that all the energy for us to even want to be like Jesus comes from the great energizer, the Holy Spirit. That the ability to actually do what he is leading us to want to do, I know it's a lot, comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the great energizer. So he initiates it by pouring out his grace. He sustains us by energizing us, giving us the ability and the desire to do what pleases him. And then he is the finisher. This isn't a grace that just starts and kind of keeps us going for a little bit and then trails off. No, in Philippians 1.6, a little bit earlier, just the chapter above, he said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Man, that's good news. That this kind of grace is not a starting kind of grace, but it is a grace that finishes. He's with us the whole way. Our family's pastor, Colin Cook, every single week he writes some community group, a community group discussion guide so that some community groups, if they choose to, can dig deeper into the talk. And he wrote this this week, and I just think it's so incredible. He said this, we must always remember what is done in us by Christ is greater and always precedes what we do for him. We must always remember that what is done in us by Christ is greater and always precedes what we do for him. So once we know God's role, initiator, sustainer, finisher, the final question, when we're thinking about our starting point is, okay, well, what do I do? We cooperate with God. This is our role. We cooperate with God. This is what it means to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And that word work out means it's never ending. (laughs) It's a continuous process. So here's what that could look like in our everyday lives, maybe even tomorrow. Tomorrow, when we go to work and want to go off on that coworker, or maybe we get home from work or get home from class and our roommate put the toilet paper on the wrong way again. It's like one thing, guys, just the toilet, because you just put the toilet paper on the right way or maybe it's they didn't take out the trash or I mean, there's just so many things that your roommate does that anyway, we'll just stop there and you just wanna go off on them, and you're this close to just tearing into them, and this little nudge in you, you might think it's your conscience, actually not your conscience if you're a Jesus follower, it's the Holy Spirit says, shut your mouth. Am I the only one that the Holy Spirit tells that to? Okay, good, I didn't think so. I'm like, he tells me that a lot. He's like, I don't always listen. Oh, okay. So shut your mouth. What just happened? God initiated a change in us. The great energizer gave us the desire to shut our mouths and the ability to do so because that's really hard, isn't it? (laughs) And then what's going to happen 
is he's going to finish that work in us. So the next day when the roommate, the coworker, the next day, the next day, your new roommate, new coworker, and they're still annoying, he's going to be there with us all the way until we see Jesus face to face and we are finished. And our role, we cooperate. We don't ignore the Holy Spirit. We allow him to strengthen us, to shut our mouths. Maybe it's like this. Tomorrow, when you wake up, and one of your New Year's resolutions or goals, wherever you want to phrase it, has been, man, I am going to spend time in God's word this year. Last year, I slacked off from the year, but like, I know this is essential for me as a Jesus follower, so I'm going to do it. And when your alarm goes off and you want to hit snooze about nine or 10 times, been there, okay, and you just want to forget it, that in that moment, the Holy Spirit, get up. Get up. You think it's your mama's voice, it's the Holy Spirit. Get up. He initiated it. He gave us the desire to get up. He gives us the ability to get up, because again, this is harder than we act like it is. And he'll keep doing it day after day after day until we are finished. So what's our role? Cooperate with God. If we return to our question, where do I start? And we've drilled down, we've said, okay, well, we start on the inside. We start with the fact that we need heart surgery, <laughs> that we can't change ourselves but that God is the initiator, the sustainer, the finisher. But if we get to first principles type of thinking, we get to the very root level of what it means to cooperate, it's actually one word, surrender. That we would surrender. We'd stop trying to play God. Stop trying to start something or sustain something or, or finish things. Start, stop trying to earn our way and grit our teeth and we're gonna get, a, get our way to God. We'll stop trying to just fake it till we make it. And we'll just surrender with open hands. I, I can't do this, Jesus. But you've given me the desire to do it. Give me the ability to do it. So would you change me? You know what's gonna happen? Jesus said a principle at the end of Luke chapter six. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's gonna happen no matter what we do. But that principle began to work in our favor as suddenly as he changes from the inside out, you know what that abundance is? That abundance is gonna be more like Jesus and more like Jesus and it's gonna overflow and we can't help it. And that doesn't mean that we're always perfect, but that means that when we mess up and used to, we just ignore it or hide it or lie about it or, or pretend like it didn't happen, that now the Holy Spirit's there going, apologize, own it, be authentic and it's coming up. And yes, there's gonna be times that just sin comes out and it's really ugly because all of us have more darkness in our hearts than we care to admit, but then there's a whole lot of Jesus overflowing out of us because he's the one changing us. Let's cooperate with God, a surrender. So maybe you're here and you don't follow Jesus. And you're like, man, I just, I haven't been able to figure out how to make sure that if I follow him, that my behavior matches my beliefs, surrender. So in just a moment, when public worship comes up, whether you gotta come in from the lobby or go back from the front row and invite you to go talk to someone in our prayer team, about what it means to surrender to Jesus for the first time. Now, what about those of us who already follow Jesus? Those of us who may be in a place where we feel empty, tired, and we don't know if we'll ever get the thrill of our relationship with Jesus back. We don't know if we'll ever read the word and have it come alive again. We're just like, man, have I just, I just need to walk away or just kind of keep faking it and we're at that place. Let's go back to where we started. How do we get a relationship with Jesus? By grace, through faith, we surrender. And let's let today be a trigger for us 
that moving forward, we're just gonna keep surrendering every moment. We're gonna miss some, hour by hour, day by day, month by month. We're just gonna cooperate with God and surrender. So public worship is gonna come up. And I just wanna encourage us, take a moment. Take a moment and just reflect. Let's reflect on the discrepancies that we all have between what we say and who we actually are. Let's evaluate our fruit because what is on the inside will come out. And then let's use this as a trigger point in our lives, a chance for when the Holy Spirit's like, yep, discrepancy there. Yep, you're fake there. Yep, you're duplicitous there. That we don't go, no, no, not me. So-and-so, talk to them over there. The, you know, that we just say, yes, it's me. I'm gonna cooperate with you, Holy Spirit, and I need you to change me. And we're gonna end our time by singing a song called From the Inside Out. And so when you're ready, I just invite you to stand and sing. And I hope that this song is just our declaration as we go out of here over our week. One of the lines just says, consume me from the inside out. That we would begin to cooperate with God in such a way to surrender and surrender and surrender and surrender that he just consumes us from the inside out. So when you're ready, let's stand and sing. Jesus, thank you for being so honest with us, for using great analogies like fruit and trees to help us see what we're often blinded to. And I pray for people in here that don't yet follow you, that they would walk to the prayer team and they would choose to surrender for the first time. And I pray for those of us that are following you, that we would just make surrender a habit as we begin in this moment and continue from here to cooperate with you. 